Hello and welcome to the Journey Church podcast, streaming live from Queens, New York. We're really glad that you decided to join us today. Whether you're a member, attend regularly, or this is your first time with us, we want to let you know we appreciate you. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the journey. How's everybody doing today? You guys doing good? Staying dry? Yep. And uh, praise God for three-day weekends means kids are home from school tomorrow. I'm just kidding. But my name is Mike, and I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, grateful for you to join us here in person, those who might be watching online uh, via Facebook. We welcome you as well. And uh, last Sunday, we kicked off a new teaching series called The Grave Robber. And uh, it sounds a little mystical, especially as we're looking into Halloween, the grave robber, you know, and things like that. G- or, or the writer of, of the gospel, John, he lists only eight miracles of the 37 miracles that Jesus performed. And so we're going to look at some of these miracles, each one of them each week. And we're going to talk about not only what does it mean then, but what does it mean for us today? And, and I believe that what God did then God can still do today. And so last week, we talked about Jesus' first miracle, turning water into wine. And it told us, Jesus ain't no party pooper. Jesus starts the party and keeps it going. Amen, right? You know what I'm talking about? But today, we're going to talk a little bit more about miracle number two. But for starters, I want some crowd participation this morning. How many of you have ever had a bad day by show of hands? How many here have ever had a bad day. All right, all of us, good, you're in church, you can't lie, we've all had a bad day, right? How many of you would say your bad day was this week? Something happened this week, kind of put you in a bad mood and things like that. How many had a bad day within this past month? Anybody willing to share? Facebook, give me a thumbs up if that's you. How many have had like a bad two months or, or a year, you know, some of us, right, and things like that? And so whenever I have a bad day, There's really two options, right? You can either sulk in the bad day and stay in the bad day, or you got to do whatever it takes to get out of the bad day. Am I right? So how do you get out of the bad day? Now, this is not nothing scriptural, but this is just real life. For me, it sounds bad, but I get in a better mood when I know somebody's got it worse than me. Does does that sound mean, right? Like somebody else, oh man, they, they, I mean, I'm having a bad day. Oh, feel bad for that person, right? And so for me, what always snaps me out of it is some good old YouTube blooper fail videos, right? And I know if I'm having a bad moment, a bad season, at least I didn't make a mistake like these guys. And so what I want to talk about today is a little bit deeper than what do you do if you hit a hurdle head on, or what do you do if someone comes out from underneath you and, and knocks you down? But I want to talk spiritually speaking about those terms, right? Like what happens when a bad day is more than just a bad moment, uh, a bad bill that you open up, but it's it's your life and you feel like, man, this is a bad season that I just can't shake out of it. And one of the things that I know is when we face bad moments or bad seasons or bad situations, oftentimes that's when the deepest questions of life begin to be asked of us, right? And we begin to ask that to God, right? God, why? Why me? Why now? How am I going to get out of this? And maybe the most important question that you've asked is, God, where are you in the middle of all of this? Like at some point, you are God Almighty and you can do anything that you want. Just change my situation. Where are you? Are you late? Are you 
out on vacation. God, where are you in this season, this dark season that I'm in right now? Now, I remember a time in college when I felt like God was so far away. When I, I called out to God and I felt like God is just nowhere to be found. I remember it was my freshman year and it was spring break of my freshman year. While everyone was either going home or going to party, which don't do that on spring break. But uh, I instead decided to go on a missions trip to Arizona, just outside of Phoenix, to a Native American tribe. And the night before... I did not want to go on this mission trip. I was trying to figure out how do I cancel this trip? How do I get out of it? I wanted to do anything but be on this trip. Didn't know anybody that I was traveling with. And on top of all of that, I was struggling with these deep questions of my life. God, where are you? It was my first year of college. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, let alone what my major would be. I wasn't doing well in my classes. I didn't really have friends, as we would call it back then. At the time, I just broke up with my girlfriend, and I felt like God is just nowhere to be found. And I remember the night before, I walked outside. I sat on the bench all by myself, looked up in the stars, and just kind of called out to God, God, if you're real, I need you to be here in my time of need. And I would love to say in that moment when I called out to God, I heard this thunderous loud voice, like Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston type voice. Michael, my son, I am with you all day. No, it was just quiet. God, God, God. Where are you? you do something, something, something. You know, and, and, and then I just kind of went about my day and, and went back uh, to bed that night. Now, have you ever felt that way? Like God was missing? Or maybe that God was silent? One of the things that I learned is in these seasons, we tend to ask ourselves some very key questions when we go through this season. So, for example, has God ever seemed silent to you? Maybe you had a tough circumstance that kind of took you by surprise and then you prayed and you asked God to intervene and help. But you feel like, man, God is just nowhere to be found. Or maybe you're in this boat where you feel like God has taken forever to answer your prayers. You open up the Bible and you do Bible roulette, right? Close the Bible. This verse is for me. And it's like, judgment will come. No, give me a better verse, you know? And have you ever had those moments when you read the Bible and you feel like, man, there's just nothing for me here. It just feels stale. Have you ever had moments when you pray and you just, you feel like you're praying to the sky or you feel like God is out on a vacation? Or maybe you felt like this. Have you ever wondered, why does God answer someone else's prayers? but not my prayers, right? Why does it seem like God answers somebody else's prayer, but not yours? Uh, Maybe for you, you've been praying desperately for God to do something, and you're like, God, I need you to move. I need a miracle. I I need you to just do something in this situation. And then you go to your growth group, and you hang out with Christian friends, and they say, you know what? God is so good. I prayed for a parking spot on Austin Street, and I got it. God is good. And you're like... (laughs) God, if you answer the prayer for a parking spot, can you help a brother out and answer my big prayer? Maybe you've been in this boat where you've wondered if God's silence has even caused you to doubt, is there really a God? I mean, if there was a God, why why is he quiet? And if God really did love me, then why isn't God responding in my moment, in my season? You know, it's really hard to feel and experience the love of Jesus when we're facing those periods of silence. 
And I'm guessing some of you in this room, you're, you're experiencing this right now. And, and I want you to know that if you are asking these questions, God, where are you? God, maybe you're not even real. God, why do you answer someone else's prayers but not mine? I want you to know that you're not alone. Not only do others here in the room ask those questions from time to time, but even some of the heroes of our faith that we read about in the Bible actually dealt with these topics of doubt and wondering, where is God? And so just off the bat, I want you to understand this. Never confuse God's silence with God's absence. Just because God is silent doesn't mean God isn't there. Just because God hasn't responded quite yet doesn't mean God loves you any less than he says in his word. And in these moments that we feel like God is so far away, I want you to remember the truth that Jesus is close. He is here right now, and he is here with you. In fact, we see this evidence in the miracle that we see in John chapter 4. This is Jesus' second miracle, and it's not only a, a, a reminder that Jesus is close, but it also gives us a roadmap on what to do when we feel like God is distant. So let's go ahead and let's look at John chapter 4 today. And we're going to look at this second miracle that Jesus performed. It's up here on the screen, but here's how it starts. It says, as he, meaning Jesus, traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana, where he had turned the water into wine. There was a government official in nearby Capernaum whose son was very sick. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and he begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son who was about to die. Now, I remember when we first had our son, Blake, 10 years ago, and I remember we had to take him to all those appointments, right? How big is his head? How big is his body compared to everyone else? He's in the 98th percentile. Is that, should I be proud? He's got a big head or not? I don't know, right? And so we were going through all these things, and I remember when Blake got his first shots. No big deal, right? Give him the first shots, put him to bed. And then I remember when we woke up at two in the morning and our newborn had his first fever. Oh my goodness, we were panicking. I mean, it was like, man, where's the doctor's number? We're going to call him at two in the morning because he said, if Blake has got a fever, we got to call and let him know what to do. So we called the doctor and he said, just give him an aspirin and he will be fine. And so far, Blake is still alive today, praise God, you know, but one of the things that we realize for those of us who have kids, anytime our kid is sick, we would move heaven and earth to give them the help that they need. But here we read that this kid is not just sick, he's very ill. And even it says right there that he is about to die. So this isn't just like a little fever, give him a little aspirin, he's going to be okay. This is like the final moments that a father might have with his son. And so he goes to Jesus and asks him uh, for healing. And one of the things that's most interesting is look at Jesus' response, all right? So last week, remember, Jesus' mother came to him, Mary, and said, can you help this wedding ceremony? And Jesus answered, dear woman, my time has not come to his own mom. Look at Jesus' interesting response here as well. He says, Jesus asked, will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? The official pleaded, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. Then Jesus told him, go back home. Your son will live. Now, Jesus' first response here almost kind of makes us feel like he's having a bad day, right? I mean, the guy just wants his kid to be healed. And immediately Jesus is like, no, let's talk about believing in me. I mean, and not only that, but Jesus doesn't even agree to go on the journey with the father. He just says, 
Go and the son will be healed. Now, I wonder if we read a little bit deeper, we could see a little bit more here. And my theory, my thought is that Jesus isn't just having a bad day or he's not annoyed or agitated at this official, but I honestly think Jesus is trying to test this guy's faith. You know, if you think about it, it's one thing for Jesus to travel with his son or with the father and then heal the son. It's another thing for Jesus to say, go and he'll be healed and for the father to trust that he's going to be healed. But look at where the story continues. In our notes it says, And the man believed what Jesus said and started home. While the man was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. He asked them, When had the boy begun to get better? And they replied, Yesterday afternoon at 1 o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. Then the father realized that was the very same time that Jesus had told them, Your son will live. Now look at this last part here. It says this. And he and his entire household, what they believed in Jesus. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus did in Galilee after coming from Judea. Now, what does this mean for us? Well, Jesus' first miracle was basically molecular, right? Turning water into wine. But Jesus' second miracle is not only geographical, but it's also physiological, right? Jesus relieves the temperature of a human without the aid of aspirin. But more than that, Jesus turns down the temperature literally 20 miles away. Now, if we were to look back at this passage and we were to say, what is the one truth? Like if we didn't know anything about Jesus, but we only had this little passage that we just read, what does it tell us about him? Well, I think what it tells us about Jesus is that when you feel like God is distant, when you feel like God is nowhere to be found, you can be assured that Jesus is close, that he is with you in this very moment. He's in the midst of your pain. He's in the midst of your hurting. He's in the midst of your fear. Jesus is absolutely right there with you. But in this miracle, I believe that Jesus moves the royal official down some steps or, or takes some action steps here that I think are the same that we can take when we feel like God is distant. So whenever you go through these seasons and you wonder, where is God? I want to encourage you to take these three steps. All right. Number one, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to call out for God's help. You've got to call out for God's help. Now, way back in 2003, I remember my good friend, his name was David Bender. He worked for a movie theater back then. And we were like college buddies in 2003. And so when you're a college guy back then, like every dollar you get has got to go toward laundry. Like you barely get money or ramen noodles, right? And so it, it paid to have a friend that worked in the movie theater because he could kind of get you in with some free tickets, if you know what I mean, praise Jesus, right? And so back in 2003, I'll never forget, I walked in, hey, buddy, what movie can I go in to see? And he said, ah, oh, there's this random movie called... Bruce Almighty. You want to go see that? Uh, sure. What's Bruce Almighty? I don't know, right? How many of you guys have heard of Bruce Almighty? It's old school movie now, but it was played by a guy that looks just like me, Jim Carrey. No, no not really. But uh, it's basically the story of a TV newscaster who has all these different unfortunate events happen, and he ultimately blames God. And one day, his beeper, all right, so, so you see how old I am, 2003, his beeper was literally flashing a number that God could be reached at. And not only this, but that phone number 
was an actual working number. The phone number, in case you want to write it down for fun, is 240-776-2323. 240-776-2323. Now, at the time, the movie was shot in western New York, in Buffalo, New York. That was not a real working number. But across America, that number was an actual phone number. And, and so people would actually call in and they would try to talk with God. So, for example, a woman in Pinellas Park, Florida, she complained that she was getting 20 phone calls an hour for people trying to talk to God because she had that phone number. In Sanford, North Carolina, that phone number actually belonged to a church whose minister was actually, the name was Bruce. But Bruce did not think that was funny, right? Uh, in Denver, Colorado, that phone number belonged to a radio station, and they maximized their fame by having people call to try and talk with God. And there was even a follow-up report two years later that said one lady who had that phone number was still getting calls two years after the film has been released. Now, as funny as random as this story is, I think it, show, it shows us our deep desire for God and wanted to communicate with him in our lives. Now, when we face a tough situation and a tough moment, many times, let's be honest, the last thing we want to do is talk to God. God feels far away. Maybe you feel like God is the one that brought this on you. But in reality, if you want to get out of the storm, it begins with calling out to God for his help. We see this true in the life of the royal official, right? His son is sick to the point where the son is going to die. And the official has literally no other option. WebMD is not helping the official at this point. His only choice, his only hope is to go to Jesus. Look at our next verse here, John chapter 4, verse 47. It says, when he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son who was about to die. Now, the odd thing in this story is it's almost as if the roles are reversed, Right? In the political sphere, Jesus was subject to the authority of the royal official. But in the supernatural realm, the roles are reversed. It's the royal official who needs and seeks the help of Jesus. Now, why this is so powerful is because he could have sent a servant to go to Jesus, right? I mean, he had all the power to just send someone on behalf of him to meet Jesus, but instead he goes to see him face to face. And I think that's an important point for us to realize that Jesus wants you to come to him personally when you have a need. When he can only meet that need, go right to the source, our hope. Go to Jesus. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it tells us this. It says, and it is impossible to please God without what? Without faith. Without faith. It's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who comes to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, I share this story often, but I'll never forget nine years ago when I talked with one of the uh, movie theater managers here who believed in a religion different than what we believe. And I'll never forget it was the end of the year. And so I just said, hey, I want to pray for you. Is there anything I could pray with you about? And I'll never forget he got so Serious water began to fill his eyes, and he said, could you pray that God would accept me? And I'll never forget it. My heart broke because it wanted to cry out, he already does. And so if you're here today and you feel like, man, God's mad at you, maybe God doesn't want you, maybe God doesn't love you as much as he might love someone else, 
Understand this verse tells us all of it, right? It says, how do we be accepted by God? How do we receive uh, pleasure with God, right? How do we receive his love? He says, it is impossible to please God without faith. Not the good outweighing the bad. Not trying to be a good person. But start with faith. It's a huge step of maturity to realize that we need God. And many of us, we fall into that trap that we can handle life on our own. But the reality is you are not God. You cannot control everything that happens to you. So so what do you do when everything around you hurts and, and you can't change that season? Well, you admit your inadequacy, call out to God and ask for his help. And what you're going to find is that in the act of calling out to God for his help in prayer, you're going to realize that God is for you. That God is with you and that God is fighting on your behalf. Look at this next verse here. I love this passage. James chapter 4, verses 6 and 8. It says, God gives grace to the humble. So give yourselves completely to God. Then he says this, draw close to God and God will draw close to you. So number one, the first thing you've got to do is call out to God for his help. Number two, step number two, is you've got to challenge your personal comforts. I've got to challenge my personal comforts. Now, one of the reasons why we have a hard time believing God for miracles is because sometimes we try to confine God to the laws of nature, right? That he created and that he instituted, right? We can only be at one place and at one time. So it's hard for us to imagine that God is omnipresent, that he is everywhere at all times. And not only do we struggle with this, but we see the royal official struggle a little bit as well. Let's go back to our passage, John chapter 4, verses 48 and 50. It says, Jesus asked, remember we thought he's having a bad day, but he said, will you never believe in me unless you see the miraculous signs and wonders? The official pleaded, Lord, come now before my little boy dies. Then Jesus tells him, go back home, your son will live. And the man believed what Jesus said, and he started on his way home. Now, again, if we read this like quickly, like as if we're riding in the subway or got to get our morning devotional in, it's really easy for us to miss some of the big things that the royal official is doing here. And so I want to kind of step back and look at some of those uncomfortable situations that Jesus is asking the royal official to do. First off, this guy traveled from Capernaum to Cana by foot. Now, us New Yorkers, we walk an average of about three miles a day. But this journey for this guy to do was 20 miles long. And not only that, it was an uphill climb about 700 feet up. All right. So if you were wearing one of those step trackers, one of those Apple watches and stuff, he probably would have burned about 8,000 calories in that journey. Not, not bad, right? But it, that's a long way to walk. Then, secondly... In order for him to travel from his hometown to meet with Jesus, he's got to leave his son behind. Now remember, his son is right on his deathbed. So to leave his side, literally he was saying, this might be the last time I'm going to see my son. I mean, talk about a tough decision, right? To leave his boy behind, to seek help, and to go on his own journey. Thirdly, this guy was a royal official. Right, So in modern times, this guy would have been like a well-known mayor or some sort of well-known politician. Now, they don't really hang out in the streets, right, begging for help. They're supposed to carry themselves with pride. 
But this official was broken. He didn't care about his position. He didn't care about how others would see him. He just wanted his son to be healed. And so finally, when he does all of this, right, he leaves his son behind, possibly going to die, risks his entire reputation, walks 20 miles, and the first thing Jesus says is, go home and your son will be healed? I, I don't know about that, right? I, if I were that guy, I'd be like, Jesus, I hear you, but like, if I pull out my phone real quick, can you show me like a, a, a camera that shows my son getting out of bed just in case? Like, I, I don't know. You, you don't know how long this journey is. And in reality, sometimes faith just doesn't make sense. Sometimes faith is going to require you to step outside your comfort zone and challenge the comforts that you have. Our next verse, it talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25. It tells us this. It says, the foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest human strength. Now, in reality, most of us, we're fine with following Jesus until it gets inconvenient, right? I mean, I'm fine with following Jesus, but if he asks me to step outside my comfort zone, sometimes that's where our faith gets challenged. But in reality, if you want a miracle, sometimes Jesus is just wanting to see are you willing to step outside of comforts and laziness and see if God can come through? So let me just ask, what is that comfort zone that God is pushing in you right now? What is that one area that's just your little box? It's all cute. It's all good. Life is good when it's here. But anytime I go outside the box, oh, Lord, what's happening? But what is that one area that God is challenging you to step outside your comfort zone in? Maybe for you, it's to trust in him for the first time. You know, maybe you've been hearing about this faith and hearing about this Jesus thing, but all of a sudden in your heart, you're like, man, I, I think I believe. And maybe that's your first step. Maybe for you, it's, it's trusting God when it comes to your finances. The idea of tithe, the idea of being generous when you know your monthly bill and how tight it is. And it feels like a step of faith. And God says, trust me. Maybe for you, it's your career. You've got a great career, but for some reason, you feel like the Holy Spirit is challenging you to take a risk, to try something different, to be more significant in the kingdom of God, and you are terrified. But God says, trust me. Maybe for you, it's, it's an area of sin that you haven't yet been able to surrender, and God is challenging you to take that step of faith. What is that for you? Because the greatest barrier that keeps us from experiencing God's best in our lives is fear. Fear that maybe God won't come through. Fear that maybe God is going to ask me to do something I don't want to do. Fear of the unknown. But the reality is you can have faith or you can have fear. But you can't have both. And if you want God to do something incredible in your life, you're going to have to take your hands off. And as our girl Carrie Underwood says, we've got to let Jesus take the wheel, right? So let me look at another verse here. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, a great passage. It just says this, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous and be strong. Be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous and be strong. Let's look at number three in our notes. Number three is then we've got to center our life around God's promise. It's one thing to call out for him and help. It's another thing to be challenged outside of our personal comforts. But the whole point is to center our life around the promise of God. 
I want you for a moment just to think back. When was one of the first miracles that you experienced in your own life? A miracle where you look back and you could say, only God. Like, I know for a fact that God did this for me. It has to be only him. I'll share with you one that I remember. I was in fifth grade. It was Easter of 1995. Now we're going back the millennium, all right? But I remember 1995, every time that we had school off for about a week, it was April break, we would always go to my grandparents' house and hang out with my grandparents for about a week. And so here it was, our parents dropped us off. We got, we're going to hang out with our grandparents. And they asked a fifth grader, pick any restaurant. Where do you want to go for Easter Sunday? What do you think I chose? McDonald's, man, McDonald's, right? That's uh, Golden Arches, 12B Patty, special sauce. Mm, I don't know what's in that special sauce, but it takes me closer to Jesus one way or another, right? And so we went to McDonald's, and I'll never forget, you know, we got a little extra value meals. In the 90s, they had this thing called supersized meals. Oh, they were bad, but they were so good, but they were bad. And I remember fifth grade getting my little supersized meal, sitting down, and I'm looking out the window. It's a beautiful, picturesque day. Sitting here, it's me, my brother, my grandparents right in front of me, and the window right behind us. And I remember looking out and seeing this car pulling into the parking spot right where we were sitting. And I remember in my mind as a fifth grader thinking, man, that would be crazy if this car went through the window. And I kid you not, that's exactly what it did. And the car went through the window, knocked out my grandmother where she broke her arm, and the car pinned my grandfather between a table, and he was there for three hours. No internal bleeding. He's fine. My grandmother had a broken arm. That was it. I was wearing a pink shirt back then. My mom dressed me up in it, not me. But I had a big red stain right here, and the paramedics were worried, is that blood? Because that's right by the heart. Oh, no, that's ketchup. <laughs> that's ketchup, right? And, uh, you know, I remember that moment being in fifth grade. I mean, it was one of the craziest circumstances I've ever experienced. But I remember, no doubt, God preserved us. Not just me, not just my brother, but my grandparents as well to walk away with no internal bleeding. And what I want you to realize is that miracles don't just meet a need, but they point us to our greatest need, which is our need for God in our lives. The need to not just trust Him for this moment, but the need to surrender our entire lives before him. And we see this in the royal official as well. The moment that they experienced the miracle, what does it say? John 4, verse 53, it says, And he and his entire household believed in Jesus. You know, there's going to come a point in your life when there's nothing more that you can do. The royal official was helpless. In that moment, my grandparents were helpless. But in these moments, the only thing you can do is take whatever season, whatever storm you're in and just give it to God and leave it in his hands. But let's face it, when you need a miracle most, the last thing you need is another sermon. You don't need another message. What you need most is a word from God. And we're not going to get that word from God until we first get in his word. So that's why it's so important to be in the promises of God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, it says this. It says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm. Then I love this next part. It says, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Now, remember I shared earlier, freshman year, 2003, right before spring break, I'm sitting on a bench. God, where are you? God, 
what's happening? I don't want to go on this trip. And the next day I decided to go on that trip anyway. Even with a ton of doubts, how can I help others when I'm afraid? How can I point people to Jesus when I don't even know if Jesus is real in that moment? But that day I went on that mission trip anyway. And I got to say, it changed my entire life. That, that mission trip, it gave me the hope and the confidence, not only that God was with me, but that God was calling me to full-time ministry. And I would venture to say this, that, that if I never went on that trip, there's a chance I wouldn't be standing here today. And maybe you're here today and you feel the same. You're ready to throw in that towel. You're ready to give up. You're ready to, to just give up on this whole faith thing. And you're saying, God, give me one reason why I shouldn't give up. The answer is clear. The reason why you shouldn't give up is because one day, one day you're going to be face to face with the person who created you. And you're going to be face to face with the person who never gave up on you, the person who loved you so much that he was willing to endure all the pain and be hung up there on the cross to be stretched out and say, I love you this much. And in those moments when you don't know where God is, I promise you, Jesus is close. He is there with you and he's there right now. He has the best plans for you. And all he's asking is for you to put your faith and to believe and trust in him. Look at our last verse here. Psalm 119, 151. I love this passage. It says, you are near, O Lord, and all your ways are reliable. God is here and his ways can be trusted. Let's take a moment. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this time where we've been able to look to your word. And God, I pray that you would help us to, to continually be reminded that you are near. That no matter what we're experiencing, no matter what we're facing, that we can put our trust and we can put our hope in your promise today, God. For those that might be struggling and, and be unsure of just where you are or that you're going to come through, God, I pray that you let this message be the strength and be the hope that you are with us, that we can trust in you, that we can put our hope in you. And God, for those, those of us who maybe haven't yet believed, I pray you help us to put our faith and trust in you today. How do we know that we are accepted by you? How do we know that you are pleased by us? It says through faith. And so God, we put our faith and we put our trust in you today, God. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, 